0: Over the 12 years the new community has been around, there have been a handful of verses that have kind of anchored us, that we've come back to again and again. One of these is found in Jeremiah 29.7, where the prophet Jeremiah, speaking to Israelites who are in exile, says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray for it. Pray for it. Pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. It's the same idea that's found in Matthew 5 when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you, my followers, my kingdom people are to be a city within a city. We in New Community have anchored our theology and our practice on this truth, that when Jesus Christ came and died and rose again on the cross, the work that he began was to usher in the kingdom of God or the rule and reign of God. And he leaves the church, the body of Christ, as the entity on earth that will carry this mission to bring forth the rule and the reign of God until he returns and finishes the work. We've said all along that the church on earth has sort of dual aspects of this mission to be kingdom representatives or to be signs and demonstrations of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, and what is in our life together. That is, our mission is to embody the kingdom or the rule and reign of God in our lives together. That's so why we ask questions like, how are we in our community life together reflecting the kingdom? How do we in the way that we do live together, we, communi- we do community together, how is it the way that we interact with each other, an alternate community, a counter community, a sign of the kingdom to come? So we ask tough questions like, how do we use money in this Demonstration of the kingdom. How do we in this kingdom community utilize money? How do we utilize our time? How do we utilize our resources? Are we any different in our lives together than the city out there in this alternate city, new community, an alternate community in terms of how we do these things? Are we hospitable to the immigrant? Are we caring for the poor and the least and the marginalized? Are we generous with our time? Are we generous with our resources? Are we opening up our homes in radical hospitality that again shows? the values of the kingdom that are radically different than the values of the world out there. We're inviting the world to watch and see how we do life together. We also ask questions in terms of relationships. Relationships out there in the world are based on pretty much, is this relationship going to pay off in some ways for me to get to my goals advance? It's all about what is in it for me. And in this community, we say, In the kingdom, we ask the question, not what do I get from these relationships and community, but what do I give? How do I serve? How do I lay down my life for others? So there's a sense in which we reflect the kingdom, rule and reign of God, by how we do life together. But, and this is key, Jesus says church on earth, his embodiment on earth, is not just to be about how do we grow, are we doing better, and how do we do life together, but we pivot and we look at the world and we move out. We vow to demonstrate the rule and reign of God that is here and it's to come to the rest of the city, rest of the world. That's why this word shalom is so powerful, right? Because when God says to Israel, I seek the shalom, peace and prosperity, it's a rich multifaceted word that means not just inner peace but wholeness and flourishing physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, psychologically in every way. And the call of this kingdom community is not just to be different together, but to move out and say, how do we seek to bring about the rule and reign of God and values of love, justice, compassion, peace, mercy to the rest of the city? How do we move out and make the city a better place? How do we, and this is what the Bible says, have a vision for what the city should look like when God's rule and reign is complete? And how do we bring that about as a reality in our everyday lives? So we're asking business people not just to go, well, I just want to be a good businessman that makes a lot of money and gives to the church. No, we're asking business people, does your business reflect values of the kingdom and how you do your business? Artists, your call is to look at the city and go, how does my art ultimately bring about the glory and beauty of God, whether it be hip-hop or classical music or painting? How does my art bring about And give a vision for the rule and reign of God. Those are the questions we're asking. It's not just how many people are here. It's not just how many people are in small groups. It's not just do we do life together well. It's do we move out to the larger city. I love the Facebook post by one of our church folks who was riled up this week, apparently, and said, "Church, where's the urgency?" Where's the urgency? Yeah, I'm looking at you, Mike Crable. Where's the urgency? You know, this guy's a public school teacher, man. Touches in a tough school. And he's like, Where's the urgency of the church to bring about the values of the kingdom to our city? Where is the urgency? Are we so self-absorbed and consumed in our own little lives that when a city is going by the wayside, we don't care? Sorry to get so riled up, but you know I, it happens when Phil Jackson's in the house. We should be playing like Bulls theme music. No, that's the Blackhawks, isn't it? Sorry, I got my theme music all mixed up in my mind. Anybody else turn into like Blackhawks fans when the playoffs come around? Rest of the year, you don't care. Clap. Yeah, that's me. That's me. All right. Phil, man, come on up, bro. Come on up. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm going to embarrass him a little bit because I know that Phil doesn't like this when people do this thing, I'm going to him. But I'm going to let you know, um, have a little seat while I, uh, while I introduce you to our beautiful church. Phil Jackson is married to a wonderful woman by the name of Kim. They have three fantastic children together. Phil's the founder and lead pastor of the House Covenant Church, otherwise known as the house, which is Chicago's first Christ-centered hip-hop worship service reaching people every Saturday. He's also an associate pastor at Lawndale Community Church in the community of Lawndale on the west side of Chicago. For two decades, Phil's been there serving on the front lines of urban youth ministry. Um, he's written a book called The Hip Hop Church, which is in fifth edition, right, with one of my close, close friends, Ephraim. And, uh, and Phil is here this morning because um, me and the staff and some leaders of the church have been talking you guys for the last year. Pastor Michael, will you please do us a favor and get us some water? I totally forgot to. Thank you. Um, we've been asking you guys, and, and, and unless you totally are living under a rock, you know that we live in a city that's constantly on the national ha- headline news because of violence, particularly gun violence. And I've been talking with the staff about what, what do we do? What do we do as a church? Knowing that a lot of us, or a good number of us, it doesn't impact us like every day. It's not like every day we're reminded because someone who's part of our family or part of our friends or part of our church community even was killed. I said, what do we do? Because we feel like we need to do something if we're this kingdom community that's about the shalom of the larger city. Phil and I have known each other for a while. We're part of the same denominational family. Thank you, sir. Um, And Phil and I were talking, and I basically said, Phil, I, I, I need someone to come and to be able to help our church think through biblically, theologically, in a way that honors God, about what our response should be and ought to be. Uh, I just want to throw a couple quotes out there for you. Some of you guys are familiar with the term in, uh, uh, crime gap. Crime gap, like income gap and other markers of disparity in a lot of our cities. It's large, persistent in large communities, especially socially and economically disadvantaged parts of our city. We know from the news that highest rates of homicides and violence are concentrated in the city's south and west sides, Englewood, Austin, North Lawndale, Woodlawn, Pilsen Little Village, West and East Garfield Park, among other troubled areas. Let me show you a little bit of, dif- of statistic about the different rates of homicide and violence in the city of Chicago. The homicide rate, on the city's northwest side, between 2000 and 2010, was 3.1 people per 100,000 residents. That figure jumped to 58 per 100,000 people in Inglewood and 68 per 100,000 people in West Garfield Park. Phil passes the church in one of these communities. And so we invited him this morning, and I asked a handful of questions. Here's what I also want. I want this to be a dialogue. I don't know if you could flash it up here. Sarah is going to be in the back, and we want to make this an interactive uh, opportunity. And so what we're going to do is in the midst of our conversation dialogue interview, if you have questions that you like asked that we could dialogue together about, we want you to text that question to office at thenewcom.com. Sarah, is that right? Office at – Okay. It's on the front of the bulletin, Sarah's point. No? Speak. I can't hear you. Okay. Okay. And the inside flap of the bulletin where the visitor registration card is, part of that, um, you could see the information under Sarah X strand. So you could sit there, just listen, observe, pray for us, or you could uh, interact with us And uh, towards the end, we're going to field about three, four of what we feel like is most pertinent questions, and we'll dialogue together. Uh, So before we go any further, can we give a really loud, warm, thunderous welcome to our brother, Phil Jackson? Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. So Phil, um, give us a little bit. Share with a little bit about how violence um, has directly impacted where you're at, ministry that you're a part of, and the community that you love and serve. Just to get a perspective about what it's like. Yeah. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> the
1: the. The norm that you come at ministry with is uh, the shalom perspective, right? And so uh, when you have that as the norm, um, things that alter that, uh, whether it's bogus education or lack of employment or poor health, um, all of that becomes uh, to get under your, your skin. And on top of that, it is um, uh, uh, even more um, uh, uh, degrading when people diminish life and think less of themselves so they think less of you and they seek to murder you over um, things that typically could be a conversation around kind of efforts to reconcile. And so um, um, there is, this is uh, it's fourth weekend in a row of double digits of, of uh, people being uh, shot. Since Fridays, 26 people have gotten shot in the city of Chicago. And um, we've had, uh, it was a funeral yesterday of a young man in our, in our neighborhood, uh, little Mario, uh, part of a group called the Danny Mob. And so you've got, Oftentimes when we talk to young people who are the shooters or who have been shot, there is this um, perpetual uh, uh, understanding that they have died before they were killed. Mm. And it's interesting because there is a, a, a sense of, uh, uh, of recklessness because of that mindset. Now, I don't see the young people that way, and a lot of our ministry don't see that way, and trying to combat that and talk to them about mm. this, uh, uh, this, this humanity and this life that can be lived, um, sometimes it seems like it's going around and around but because of lack of education because of bogus health situations because of lack of job because of stuff at the household there is this uh, mindset that i'm already die- i'm already you know dead before i get murdered and so this sense of hopelessness and resiliency mm-hmm. that seems to coexist and so you find that uh, situations like uh, uh, Mario getting murdered and his mom going to church around the corner from us, not even wanting any kind of balloons or anything at her house, uh, taking them down uh, uh, because she knows it's only a, a kind of reactive, kind of even by his peers. And then her efforts to talk to this crew, Danny mob that he, at 19, kind of belonged to, um, they call themselves Danny Mob after another kid who got killed named Danny, and they call themselves kind of uh, carrying his legacy by the acts of violence that they have done. It just sort of perpetuates, right? And so her conversation to them about not retaliating um, seems to go in one ear and out the other as they have uh, worn shirts of F the police and everything else like that. It's almost as if Again, I've died before I got killed, and so I perpetuate this uh, this retaliation as if that that's, that's where life is, is, substance is really found, is in this kind of tit-for-tat kind of context. And, you know, as we walk with young people, I can tell you stories about um, Jason Little, who comes from a two-parent home, who... I, I, I've known him since he was a little baby and he was in our youth ministry. He lives seemingly like a double life in a context of where I find value from. I know this value that you're trying to implant in me, and I've got a sense of that, but it's like your God that I'm adopting until it becomes my own. And then I begin to find sort of this pseudo value in those that I'm around, and so I live in these two worlds. And, and so, having a uh, um, kind of a struggle academically, you know, failing eighth grade several different times, but finally overcoming that, well, that does a lot to you. And so as you begin to find this identity around those who kind of uh, uh, struggle academically as well, and they take to the streets, making a long story short, then Jason gets shot seven times, you know, gets shot, and you you see him on a corner, you stop, and you tell him, look, like the old Sesame Street adage, right? One of these things is not like the other, right? He's like Jason. You don't, you don't belong here. Everything else seems like it belongs, but you. And um, he hears that, understands the love, appreciates that, but trying to agitate righteousness as he's been taught that and been surrounded by it, um, seems to be over, o- overtaken by the streets, right? And and the love that seemingly gets there until he gets shot seven times in the back and over several years. Or a year or so, we walk with him till he starts to walk. Mm. And it is in that motion that he begins to realize um, a deeper identity in, 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 in who he is. And Kenji, another young man who I love and known, and um, tends to have had. I mean, it's crazy, man. You could go on and on, but just how how something happened over here so many years ago that somebody never left. Mm -hmm. He left that trying to find another way and learning how to build cars or rehab cars, but somebody never left the mark he did on them, and they carry it over until now they get him in the wrong uh, situation, and now he got shot eight times and did not live right right on the corner of near where our church is, and Kenji, who was just turning that corner of change, you know, and so the effect of it over time in the life of young people becomes numbing, right? And you find that as, um, hopelessness and resiliency coexist, there comes, there comes sort of like, a, um, an internalized pain or an externalized pain of how people, uh, manage it. Young people manage it. They externalize pain, releasing that out in more ways of, of action or internalized by just, uh, uh, shutting down, you know? And, um, you imagine you grew up with somebody you're 15 and they die. You grew and you grew up with a crew of people and then another person dies. And another person dies and somebody gets stabbed and dies and some after a while it just pisses you after after a while you can't be pissed off anymore. It's like it's just too much to be mad about. Mm. So what do you do then, right? So either A you um just like, hey, it's going to be. I'm going to be next, and I'm going to live this way. Or you prayerfully have a community of people around you who believe in you enough to work through that kind of stuff. Because the thing, thing to me with the church is that we have to, we have to go where nobody's going. Right? We have to do what nobody's doing to reach those that nobody's reaching. Hmm. And. Um, People in the streets and people in our community are waiting for the church to do that. I believe that once they get those epiphanies and once we connect with them on the streets, once we walk with them in the schools, once we go to the juvenile detention centers, once we see them in the jails, then they really borrow your belief about them and begin to own it themselves. And as they own it themselves about what you believe about them, pretty soon they own it without having to borrow it from you. And they begin to have it themselves. But that takes time. We have to have this fire hydrant of hope. This is hopefulness and resiliency for 15 years. <laughs> Can you commit? To, I mean, I talk to foundations. Like, don't give me any money for a year and expect me to change the world. Give, it, give me a dollar for 15 years or whatever you're going to give, and then let's look at the statistics. Let's look at the change from that context. And um, too many times we want that quick response. And I think the church oftentimes they want that quick response. Um, I don't know, man. I felt like I just went on a, on, on a tangent of stuff like that, man. But.
0: Phil, you kind of hit on some of this. but and wh- there's, there's this part in which we observe stuff from TV, media, newspapers, and also the conversations that we have about the factors, the causes. Mm. We know that they're multilayer. They're complex factors, a cause, mm-hmm. and is causing an uptick in violence in certain communities and so on and so forth. What are, what are you seeing? In terms of your experience, what are the causes that, that, that influence an uptick in violence, particularly gun violence, in some of these communities? One of the core
1: causes, which is almost like common sense, is the deterioration of the family. You find that there are some, um, uh, the generations of, of single-parent moms that have had um, lack of stability around them. There are great single-parent moms who manage and work well, and, and I'm sure there's some in this church who have made it, and, and my, my wife is a great uh, a daughter of a single-parent mom. But the reality of some moms is that I have this child. It is almost I, I took a bid, like I'm in jail for 18 years until this kid is gone. Mm-hmm. It is crazy. You talk to a single-parent mom, I don't give up about what he doing. I mean, and it is then this raising of yourself. I have so many kids I work with now who are being raised by their grandmama. Even though the mom is still around and alive and around the corner, but She's on something that was totally different, and mom, grandma stepped in to take them in, right? So that's one of the factors, right? Grandma can't be everywhere. She's older. She's tired, um, and so there's not there. Two, in that deterioration of the family, there's not been any strong males in their life, whether it is a father or uncle or even the surrogate parents within the church as men mm-hmm. to engage in the life of young people. I was at the Juvenile Detention Center, and I was asking, uh, it was about 40 guys in there, right? And I was like, How, what would y'all kill for? We put on the board everything: French fry. Um, I kill for uh, you know this and that. I kill uh, somebody say something about me. I kill uh, somebody look at me crazy. And they had Forty different things, or I don't know, thirty something. We put on the board. Then I said. You know, and, and all of the things that seemingly, and, and out of 40 guys, all of 40 guys are raised by single-parent moms. And, and, again, I'm not dissing uh, moms, but I'm just talking about the lack of the fathers in their house. And, and, and they seem, all of them seem to be from an emotional kind of standpoint. And we began to write them all down. And, um, and then I said, what would you die for? Which one of these would you die for?
0: Hmm.
1: And about three things. One was protect myself. Another one was for my family, and, and another one was sort of in between uh, money or my my clique, my crew that I hang with. That was kind of iffy, but it was that love of that second next family. Mm-hmm. So some causes uh, are, are 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 just common sense. I think of deterioration family, a lack of a male figure in the life of men and young women, um, um, and I think the third would be uh, the the the, ap- the apathetic church. <laughs> The church, you know, we have a containment model church where we just want to keep you contained. Mm. Let's keep you contained and let's not do too much that's going to rock the boat because we got to keep you and manage you. Mm. And then we have the entertainment church, right? Where we've got, like, we have 186 churches in North Lawndale. 186 churches. (laughs) 186 churches, man. (laughs) That's like. A lot of bulletins being printed on Sunday. You know what I mean? There's a lot of choir robes. And, but like, I mean, just imagine, just imagine if five people from each of those churches just took a block. And just committed a rotation of five. Not to preach and, 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 and lay hands and bring the Holy Ghost in, but just to be a presence. What's your name? Hey, Mike, you out here a lot, man. You work anywhere? You're not in school? Just being a present. Who this is? Why are you asking me all them questions? Because I love you. I'm, I'm, I go to church over here. I'm just wanting to find. Well, my cousin needs some community service. Out of nowhere, you would irritate the community with righteousness that folks would have to make a decision. Truth demands an answer. Amen. amen. And as we, a people of amen. truth, engage in
2: that,
0: amen.
1: God brings the spirit. So I think the deterioration of family, lack of male presence, the apathetic context of the church, and... um. I would just say it's a systemic issues, right? You got a Texas and signed this law. Everybody can have a gun. I don't know, it's some silly name like everybody get a gun. Just everybody get a gun at Walgreens. Everybody get a gun type thing, right? And I think the systemic stuff of that, right? So we have a kid in our neighborhood who got a lawsuit from a situation that happened with through, uh, uh, allegedly through some uh, priest thing and got some money. Well, he got this money, but didn't nobody know that he was a part of this clique. He bought all these guns with this money. Like he got a 1000000 some dollar lawsuit, right? So, so how do you prevent that kind of, and, and, and so we're in between these wars, between the, the uh, 16th Street crew and, and, and 21st No Worse crew, and so we're meeting with the 21st, and they're like, we got no money, we got no guns. They got all the guns because the guy got the law. So it's, you see what I'm saying? So it's some systemic stuff that is also perpetuating um, some of those things, some of those causes.
0: Have you seen, um, we have a lot of teachers in our church, and people are um, beginning to talk about the correlation between the environment of violence and how it affects kids and schools. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about what you've seen, particularly in Nondale community, about yeah. kids and schools and living in a culture of violence and what that does to a child.
1: You know, um, Teachers are almost, in some degree, right, uh, parents.
0: <laughs> By the way, real quick, those of you that teach, can you raise your hands? Go around.
1: Okay. Amen. Give it up for the yeah, teachers. Give it, give it up for the, the teachers. Yep, yep. Yeah.
0: Yep, yep.
1: And I always, you know, when I'm in the schools, North London College Prep, other schools, I'm like, you know, how long is the class? Fifty something? Can you give 15 minutes of social work time? Because it's almost like you can't even teach until, mm. especially on Mondays, because Mondays is like whatever happened on the block. It's a whole other story. You you got agitated. What happened? Well, my son so smacked my sister, and so now it's like you got to. Before you can teach math, you got to kind of figure out how to deescalate all of that, right? And so, then you know how stuff perpetuates uh, in the school. So, you know, um, the the schools, um, you know, over the years, uh, because of the breakdown of these other elements I mentioned, have become this other. I mean, because the kids are in there for a longer period of time, oftentimes they're there with a caring adult. I mean, when they leave home, kids come to the firehouse, kids come hang out, mom ain't home, or mom is home, but she's not connected, or whatever the case is, and how mom may connect may not necessarily be as affirming, and all this particular, I mean, the, the loneliest day for teachers is report card pickup. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Quit lying. <laughs> ain't nobody coming to pick up report cards, right? They asking me, can you pick up my sign report card? I think that... Um, in the schools, there's a code, right? There's a code amongst young people. And that code is, uh, I mean, of course, the non-stitching thing, but it's just this code of another subculture. And if teachers who who are savvy enough and have been around long enough, they can kind of break through that code through some tough love and through some care and through some, I mean, uh, uh, you know, it can get beat down in you after a while uh, and, and you may be wary of it. But in a context of... What someone say? And it's not be, it doesn't have to be cold because of slang language. You know, uh, you know what's your kick? What's your kick? Is a slang cat's ass. With kids asking for a kick, which is an app on a phone, which means I can say something to you sexually, and you don't even know who sent it to you. And if you respond to it, it it's a whole other. I don't to talk about it right now, but it's a whole other thing, right? And then um, uh, other slang language. But as I'm in the school. Um, it's, it's like all these different layers. There's, there's this teacher layer, this academic layer, there's this uh, street layer, there's this gang layer, there's a sensual layer, all these particular things. And so... Unfair to the teachers to even get a lesson across, there has to be uh, an understanding of these layers just to get the lesson across. And then on top of that, you have a system that says, we got to get this Title I money, we got to get this money, so we got to pass these tests, so we can pass these tests, so we can get the money by September, um, let alone academic uh, academic rigor, or, uh, let alone uh, critical thinking. Um, um, and then we applaud kids who get into, high sc- get into college, but yet we haven't prepared them to successfully do high school, and then to get into college, and then they, they get into college, they barely make it for a semester because no one had taught them critical thinking skills in order for them to manage. All these kind of nuances that are unfair for teachers to have to do but are put upon teachers. And so, 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 um, so what you do, you, you, you try to combat that. So Longdale, North Carolina College Prep, they had this... Um, these peace warriors, right? And they train 100 some kids on this nonviolence Kingian training, so that these kids wear these little hoodies and they wear these shirts to talk about peace warriors, and they actually advocate uh, when fights are jumping off to break up their peers. They're actually in tune when kids are saying. Facebook status wars, right? And somebody's hearing about an argument on Facebook about you got this many friends, your mama this, and what happened, and, you know, this and that on Facebook that carries into the school. And so now these peace warriors. So you, so that's just to get you to learn something, right? You, you got to de-escalate de- 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 stuff in, in, that, in, in that context. So I think that, that the, you know, the uh, the unfair pressure that's on teachers to pursue this academic rigor without all these other Tools and things to equip them to be successful. Um, teachers almost have to do that so that they can be successful. You know, you buy your own books so the kids can read the books so they can pass a test, almost that kind of thing. So you create um, another kingdom inside of that so the kids can, can be successful. And I, and I know that within North Lawndale, you know, the, the sickle mob, this crew right there on 16th Street has created quite a, a fear or a scare. Um, and see, to me, you're 14, I'm 50 years old, just turned 50 in January. I'm 50. I'm fifty. You fourteen. What I got to be scared of you about? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a threat. Like I'm a molly wop you in the head, you know. But I might. But the reality of uh, the 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 uh, you're you you're, you're eighteen. In other words, why there, there's a whole culture of fear around these younger like. They're human beings. I could see if they were like a Martian or an alien. I could see if there was something that was different about them, that there was like, you know, their head was different or something. But they're not. Mm -hmm. And if you do time with them on the street enough, Mm -hmm. you find that they just want some bubble gum. They just want, you know, there's a great story of this professor. He was a professor at a university. He taught art. And um, he has has a great history himself, how he got to teach art. And he he comes home one day, and his daughter says, she's four, like, what do you do, Dad? And he says, trying to think how he tells his daughter what he does. He says, I teach people how to draw. And she says, one of the most classic lines, she says, you mean they forgot. Our young people forgot. They have forgotten what it's like to be a kid. Some of them never had a chance to be able to be validated as a kid who can draw x and and who can make a circle around the x and be validated because they can do something they don't have permission to do that they have they have permission to smoke weed to while out to fight in class they have permission to cuss the teacher out um they mm-hmm. have permission seemingly in that context but but they forgot so our responsibility is to help them have that space where they can be in an environment of safety where truth can be engaged, where they can remember, right, what it means to be that kid.
0: I want to briefly uh, acknowledge not just the teachers, but I also, as I look out, our friends here at our church, our counselors, administrators that also work in the Chicago Public School System, whose work is just as difficult in this. Um, I want to get back, Phil, as we kind of try and pivot a little bit. Yeah. Talk about the response of the church. I mean, you... I have very strong feelings about the apathetic (laughs) church and the fact that the church needs to stand up and be true speakers for righteousness and actually act and do something. I know that for a lot of us that are part of Logan Square, we're asking this question of how do we, me, us, as a church, Phil, given that we live in many different neighborhoods, have jobs in different settings, so on and so forth, and may not have the kind of intense everyday interaction. What's your encouragement and challenge, man, on how we go about being a person who is a kingdom ambassador and is wanting to be a part of the solution to this, to bring about God's shalom and peace?
1: Yeah.
0: And you've already begun talking about just being present or mm-hmm. just sit. so talk to us a little bit about as you think about your ministry and what you've seen other churches and other individuals do that's made an impact, both small and large.
1: I think um, a part of uh, intro to that, I want to um, say that um, yeah. um, one, one side note, there's a great book. Is a good friend of mine named Scott Larson out of Boston. I He's mean, done work with Juvenile. I mean, he's off the chain. Great book called um, um, basically The Return of Our Prodigal Sons and Daughters, Off the Chain. Anything you get from Scott Larson is ridiculously great. Dr. Scott Larson is just brilliant. So he's in Boston, but we use a lot of his stuff in the circles that we work with just as a commercial with that. But, um there's a story about this guy he's playing golf with four of his friends, and as he's playing golf, he's about to swing, and he stops swinging, and he looks and sees a funeral procession coming by, and he takes his hat off and covers his heart, gets on one knee, and all of his guys are looking at like, wow, this guy really respects this life and all of the transitions of what's taking place right here, and, and, and they kind of like bow their heads a little bit too, and the funeral finally leaves. And he gets back up, puts his hat on. He's about to take a swing. they're like, man, we, we are so honored and humbled that you would, you would consider life this way. And, and, and we're so impressed with how serious you took this. He said, well, yeah, I figured, uh, you know, I might as well do this. I, I was married to her for 35 years. It was his wife's funeral. And the, the man just, just was playing golf. And I say that because oftentimes this is how we take a nod to the funeral's our own neighbor. We just take a nod to God. And I think one of the key things, I just want to use a text in Luke chapter 7 where Christ, uh, starting with verse 11, where he brings this woman's son back to her. Mm. Part of that text, uh, just three things really in that text I think that Christ does um, that I think are practical for us to put into play, especially um, here at this church. I am not opposed to uh, churches that have folks who love the Lord, committed to the Lord, and come to a local church that this is not a part of their community. I know some people may say, um, you adamantly got to live in a neighborhood. I live in North Laundale. I always will. I love North Laundale. I believe if God opens that door for you and calls you to do that it's a sacrifice, then do it. But if he's called you to serve and worship at a local church, I believe that church is responsible for as much as God would have them to be for the community that's around them, Right. Um, so, so Christ in this story, what's beautiful about it is he's going into Nan. He's going to this community called Nan, and he's going into Nan. Um, there's a woman coming out of the community with her son. She's a widow uh, to bury her son. One thing I love about Christ is opposite of the man who was golfing who just gave a nod to the funeral, he got into her business. Typically, you just, the funeral's coming, you move away, you let, you respect those. He went into where the pain was. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is to get into the business of your neighborhood. What, who, who, who owns the stores around here? What are the struggles they have with kids snatching candy? Why do they have a sign on the door to say three of y'all only <laughs> uh, can come up in here? Um, who owns the stores? Getting into the business of the community, knowing um, the pain of the community. Getting into the number of schools. What are the schools that are that are in this community? What are the elementary schools? There's a church in uh, Memphis, I think, uh, Brennan Loritz or Crawford Loritz's son started that. Basically, they have one or two ministries that are that are come to in their own church, but the rest of the ministries are go-to. And so instead of having an after-school program, they tutor in the schools. Instead of having something else uh, uh, that would have a come-to, they do it. What, what are the pain and the issues that are that we can be kingdom people, mm-hmm. In their neighborhood and represent the kingdom in that place, right? Instead of having folks come to us in that context. Second thing I think Christ does—he uh, engages with the with the lady. Second thing that he does is he has compassion on her. The Bible says that uh, when he saw that, it said his heart went out to her. Mm. I love that part—that his heart went out to her. Sometime the callousness of four weekends of double double shootings, yeah. if double situation where people got hit with a bullet in some shape, form, or fashion. Some people got murdered. We lose compassion. Yeah. We get calloused by it. Yeah. It's this the happenstance. It just happens in whatever circumstances that brought. And we, we, we have to rebirth that compassion. Yeah. You know, I've served God in ministry full-time for 25 years and 20-some-odd years in North Lawndale. And, and um, there is... Uh, Praise God! An ongoing urgency in my heart because I got three kids. My kids are grown. My wife and I married 29 years. There is an ongoing urgency because I'm in the presence. I'm engaged in the kids' lives. I'm engaged. so because I'm engaged in the store owners who sell the bread, who who do this. I'm engaged in that, and so uh, the compassion is always fresh. And that I think we can read the Word of God, and God can stir that up. And it doesn't mean your compassion. I mean, as you. So two things. As you engage, gauge at the capacity that you can. Mm. Don't feel like i got to quit my job and now engage, Mm. otherwise I'm useless. No. If you're in corporate, engage in corporate. Find other corporate people and maybe just start with prayer. Mm. Prayer is the most powerful, engaging gift that God has given us to work with him to to spark that passion. Mm. And as that happens, God may spark all of the corporate heads that you work with. You know what? Let's... Post up at the grocery store, we've got three summer jobs in our corporate office that we're trying to find some kids who we could work with. And maybe your office has three corporate jobs, and you get some kids who've never been in a corporate environment, you begin to walk with them. you got to be ready for them t- talking about, what the hell is this? This is some bullshit. you got to be ready for that. <laughs> Shit. Y'all provide lunch in this month? You gotta be- if you're not ready for that, then maybe y'all not ready to work with them <laughs> kids in that concert. Right? Right? <laughs> But you got to go there. You see, in Acts chapter 17, right, Paul said, I represent this unknown God, right? Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to meet you at your known. They had 300-something gods that they worship, and they put an altar to this unknown God just in case they missed a God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just in case we forgot a God, we're going to put one here so he's not mad. We, <laughs> we have to go to their known, which may be our unknown. hmm to meet them yeah. where God would have them to be, to take them where God, we you know, to meet them there, to take them where God would have them to be. Okay. God met this woman who had this dead son who her life was over with because she was a widow. Mm-hmm. Nobody there to take care of her. He engaged in her life. He didn't, and, and then on top of that, he touched the casket, which he did, he, he, he did it in a, he, in other words, he, he violated all social norms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are a man, you a priest, you a Jewish cat, you don't touch that. Mm-hmm. Bump that! The urgency of the time, the compassion I have says I gotta do this. Mm. I gotta stand here and love on you in, in, in this compassion, and let the compassion overflow in, in, into you. Mm. And I believe the third thing that he did is he realized he had the power to do something. Mm-hmm. You and I have—we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Are Amen. you serious? Amen. Are you serious? Amen. God calls us sons and daughters. Amen. I lived my father and I were, uh, uh, my father was very verbally and physically abusive all my life. I died for the moment that my dad would say, I'm proud for you, you serious? Mm. I would die for the moment that right now he's passed away, that my dad would call me his son. Mm. That's my son, my boy, he never did that. Mm. But God calls me his son, and I'm going to be intimidated to show that off of you, you serious? Mm. If I yearn for that from another man, a human being, but I received it from my earth, my heavenly father how buck wild crazy will I be to represent him? Are you serious?
0: Amen. Amen.
1: Ah. So, so in a context, Christ mm. engaged this woman. Mm. He, he went beyond the norm. He broke through societal barriers and touched the casket. Mm. He had compassion for what was going on, knowing her circumstance. Mm. And he, engaged, he did something. He brought the, brought the boy from, 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 from death to life. And then he brought her. Brought him to her mom. Our, 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 our kids are missing families, right? And so he, he, he brought her brought this boy back to his family. Our kids, our, our young people are wanting to be brought back to the family. They're, yeah. they're wanting to be in a family. They yeah. want to be connected to a family, yeah. you know? And, and, and so will we and can we
0: yeah.
1: be that family? I think I think part of the apathy I think that the church has is uh, not only has it been wary on the violence and wary on the academic struggles and wary on economics, you know, and wary on health care, um, that you have to find the lane that you're going to focus on. I mean, there's so many things that we're being pulled at from the church. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 but, yeah. but, but human trafficking is a horrible situation, especially yeah. Chicago. is like one of the premier places, right? And so there is a heart for – I mean, God wants down here to look like up there, right? Yes. Yes, like as you, the whole new community. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. I come from a participatory uh, community. <laughs> so um, there's some. Of, there's bro, some. There's some of
0: them out there that are. I got there's you. Some of them I know. You you, I call, know you, you with me. Call them. Out. But
1: I mean, I, yep. I, right, right. new community, right? That's what you're creating, right. right? You're saying, right. "Hey, hey, down here is going to look like up there, that's and the right. area's got burden our hearts for." And that's what we believe in a new community. And pretty soon, people are like, "Dang." Even if they haven't come to receive and understand who Christ is, they're like, dang, this is what it's like to be in God's kingdom? Right. Oh, hecky now. What does it mean to be in his family? Who I need to talk to about being a follower of Christ? And so as that begins to be the case, we have to see and embrace the potential that's not there or lived out amongst those who have perhaps been, who have, who have already died before they've been, believed that they'll be killed off. We have to believe in that potential almost for them. That's what teachers do. That's what teachers do all day long. They believe in that potential Mm. in that context. Um, I have a young man here named Brian who I've known since he was 11. Snotty nosed little kid. And uh, now he's 31. And um, God has kept him in my life as a, a, a son in Christ to me. And so, as, uh, as God would lead, and we keep talking, maybe He'll share a little bit of His testimony of transformation. I want to be respectful of the flow, and people may have texts and other things like yeah. that. But
0: Sarah, do you have the questions? Okay, the folks send them in. Bring it up. Bring all the questions up here. I'll just go ahead and kind of go through them. Okay. Yep, Brian, come on up.
1: Brian, his back is
0: Everybody
2: messed gonna, up. Yeah. How y'all doing, church? I feel like an old man right now. But um, just to speak on some of the things that Phil was speaking on, we is dead on the streets. I gang bang and sold drugs and shot and did everything for 18 years, shot in my head, federally indicted, and we feel dead. We ain't got no, and I say we, cause I'm out here on these streets with these kids, with these shorties. I still ain't turned my back on them. I still post up on the corner with them, just on a different path, testifying and giving them the knowledge that they should have now. Hmm because they don't got no leaders. All our leaders six feet up under us or in jail. So all we hear is stories of the olden gangsters of what they did and what was going on before us. And we know the end of their story, so we already know it's time to go. It's time to go or go home, and don't nobody want to go home. So yeah, I mean, I grew up gangbanging, selling drugs, just, living a reckless lifestyle until one day God slapped the hell out of me and told me that I'm real, mm-hmm. and, uh, but it came with age. It didn't come at 16, 17. Mm-hmm. It didn't come at none of that because we don't want to come to church. The church pushed us away. Mm-hmm. The church told us we dying, we going to hell for what we doing, so since it's going to happen anyway, what's the point of living right? Mm-hmm. We need to reverse and start letting the hoodlums come in as they self. Amen. Stop worrying about what hat on his head, what's on his body, and acknowledge the fact that he's here so he wanna do something. That's right. That's right. Cause that's what brought me to Christ. Hmm. When I came back to my father through Christ after doing Everything up under the sun for years. I didn't get, man, why you here? You bogus as hell. You know you are supposed to be here. You just the devil. Mm. He said, no, my son, welcome back home. Mm. It's about time you came. Mm. Mm. And he didn't say fix your mouth. Mm. He didn't say do none of that. Right. You know? And I'm reckless. Y'all getting a nice me right now. But <laughs> but it's, it's, it's all part of the transition. When, when you hustling and you don't got nobody, and I'm, I'm talking from a black and white perspective because my grandfather was white that got murdered on the west side of Chicago. My uncles was white that got murdered on the west side of Chicago. So... The street mentality is going to be the street mentality all the way. Who going to go on the street and help change it? Mm. And that's all I'm trying to say. Get out here in this field with me mm. and represent this Thug Life for Christ movement because that's what I'm doing. Amen.
0: Amen. Love. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right, Brian, stay, go ahead and stay up here. Yeah, stay up here. Is your son downstairs? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Here's what we're going to do, because we want to be sensitive to time, and Sarah's still typing away. We're just going to do this like we normally do at New Community. We're going to ask you, if you had questions, you texted. Stand up. Stand up and, uh, and ask, and uh, depending on time, because we want to be sensitive to time, um, we'll take as many questions and dialogue about them, okay? Um, and I have the mic, or if we have a, do we have another extra set of mic? Maybe you could speak really loud so we could all hear you. Okay. Some of y'all already sent in questions. So go ahead, Sarah's typing away. Who who sent them in stand up and ask away. <laughs> yes, Michael. Somebody over here? Yeah, okay. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds nobody,
1: good. Nobody wants to. <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I really it. Okay. Oh, hold it. <laughs> And Annette, hang, hang, on, hang on just for a second, hang on just for a second here, I'll do that, yeah. <laughs> These are one, two, three, four, five, and then we'll send you one. Okay. Phil, I'm getting old, man. I can't <gasps> believe this. It's just amazing. I need bifogals. So why are we waiting until these kids become teenagers to make a difference? I feel like if you want to stop the violence, the youth should be targeted at an age where they are still fresh and open to life's possibilities. And Brian, actually, you kind of mentioned, you kind of addressed this. Because while they're young, instilling the right values in them will be easier and will result in less violence in the city. Now, how, how do you respond to someone who says, because your experience you said was, when I was at a certain age, it doesn't matter who. Would have tried to speak truth into my mentor. You just weren't willing to listen, and you had to get to a certain place where you felt like you were open to listening. This question says, will it make the difference if we, while they're really young, had mentors? It will, but up? they
2: still going to make their own decision. Majority rules. So you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Majority mm-hmm. rules. So if you only got a couple of people telling you do this the yeah. right way, yeah. it's embedded, but it's a thousand other people saying the hell with that. Right. So Right. You, it's good to have it embedded I think that's the reason I came back to Christ I've been mm-hmm. knowing this man since I was 11 mm-hmm. so it was embedded mm-hmm. so I knew that it's a right and a wrong mm-hmm. it's a heaven and a hell it's my decision mm-hmm. but it looked better over here
0: gotcha.
2: you don't yeah. see the darkness yeah. all you see is the glamour and the glitz mm-hmm. they got cars, clothes, and money
0: mm-hmm.
2: that's all you want mm-hmm. This all the flesh crave for so, yeah, you can catch it when it's young, but understand that when they leave your presence, it's going to be a thousand other snakes in their ear. Right,
1: right. And that's why you got to have, I believe that, working with younger, younger kids. Um, that's not where my calling is, but I want to support folks who do that because they're, if you can catch them, especially young boys before fourth grade, um, young African-American boys, um, um, uh, but you got to create a community. you gotta, you got to have five other men in their life. you got to have them in the Boy Scouts. you got to have them in this. So, they, you, so, so they're boxed in. So the message is perpetuated by 18 different people. So that's what they smell and hear most often, even when they, we have to let them go and they go back to the crib or whatever else happens in the crib. They, they hear in their head this topsy-turvy message of this righteousness more so than the stuff that's out there. But that takes a lot of work.
0: Phil, this question's for you. It's not a question just to comment. The deterioration of the black brown family is an economic issue, not a personal or individual failure on the part of men and or women. I think we get distracted on individual failures when actually systemic failures is economic and justice is paramount. How would you address that?
1: Well, I think the systemic issues are, 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 are I mean, they're, they're horrific, right? And um, um, you have folks who understand the systemic, even though they may not be able to point to it. Yeah. They know, oh, this is how you got to get over on the system, right? Yeah. You find Abraham going down to Egypt telling his half-sister, Sarah, look, Tell them you're my sister so that we can get over on this corrupt system. Then when the corrupt system gets jammed up in Genesis chapter 12 by all these boils, now the corrupt system wants to be righteous and say, how dare you lie? Mm-hmm. Well, how dare you try to kill me to get my wife? Mm-hmm. But the system, um, so you have to have players in every pocket who yeah. understand that and are able to, whether it's change policy or whatever the case is. But um, but yeah, the, the, the systemic things create and almost perpetuate, I mean, you have you have. You know, you ever seen the movie Sicko? Sicko is a great movie, and they talk about if you keep people poor, unhealthy, and uh, poorly educated, they'll never fight against the system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so you keep that systemic thing going, and you got to fight
0: against it. This question is so new community, so I'm going to ask. (laughs) What do you think about gun reform and advocacy that is needed on that front? You have one minute. One minute, right,
1: right, right. I mean, you know, the adage that, like, um, you know, an eye for an eye and then nobody sees kind of thing, right? And so I don't believe that um, the, the adage that if, if, if I, I got a gun and I'll shoot people and, I, and everybody has a gun and that's a law that's passed, I look in a restaurant that I may be about to rob, maybe my thinking is, oh, may my, they may all have guns, so that'll stop me from shooting, Yep. Folks, I don't think that that's there. Yep. Simply because the people who are shooting, when I talk to the older old G's, it's these fifteen year olds who are shooting. Mm-hmm. They're the ones mm-hmm. younger because it's a so it's an excitement thing that is perpetuated. So, I mean, it, I think there needs to be. Um, like father Flager and I have talked about a license on a gun. If you're going to go that route where like you have a license on a car, you can't just up and sell a car to your cousin with a title being changed. Right. Therefore it's tracked. Just like the 14 year old girl who was killed because of an uncle gave a, sold a gun illegally to his other guy. He gave the gun to the daughter and she shot the girl. So if there was a license on it, then you couldn't, you could have hopefully caught it earlier. So there's a lot of, a lot of debate and conversation about that.
0: Brad, you wanna say a word about that? Gun reform what, what what do you think?
2: I think it's just a way to lock up more black and brown people. <laughs> Ain't nothing but shorties that's black and brown out there busting, so mm-hmm. who they trying to pop off? That's mm-hmm. just a setup, mm-hmm. period. That's how I feel about it.
0: <laughs> it right <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Right.
0: right. That's right. That's the truth, debt. Yeah. That's right. Mm. That's right. You That's
2: right. Well, honey years.
0: Whew. Right. Damn, that's okay, real.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <Nice>. it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right,
1: right, right. A feisty lawyer at that.
0: The lack of value yeah. for life. People of color. Dan, um, it's 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 an enormous it's enormous issue and problem in our country and our society. And uh, this last question, because I do, what you said was so powerful for a large majority of us. So there are a couple questions that get to this. Where do we begin? And you said pray. You could pray. You could pray. Like I wonder how many of us, Phil, when we see something on the news, right? Something on the news about 24 people being shot over the weekend. I wonder how many of us just pause at that moment. Instead of flipping the channel or just kind of, how many of us pause for that moment and we pray for the families, for the victims, and even the shooters? Mm-hmm. Right? So I do want us to spend some time praying. Not a lot today, but 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 he, here's a question. I, I, need, I need to leave it with this, okay? It's for you. With all this violence and death, where do you find God's good purpose? Mm. Where do you find maybe another way to ask the question? Not just God's purpose, but See God's goodness.
1: Where do you see God's goodness? I believe you see, um, in some ways, perhaps um, the irritation of those who are uh, um, feeling a holy indignation and are, are, are actively then that that activates some. Um, to then serve more boldly or to love or to Mm. go to where that pain is. Mm. Um, In the midst of the pain, um, there is uh, those families you've sat with and and, and they're asking why, and, you know, you you just sit with them and you ask why your doggone self, you know, in the midst of uh, all this happened. But presence, you know, um, presence, I believe, is where you find Um, The goodness of God, the people of God and being present when, 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 you know, children of Israel were in captivity and God said, look, quit tripping, quit arguing, live with the people, build houses with the people, do life with the people, worship me amongst the people, Mm -hmm. his presence, even Mm -hmm. under exile. And so in the context of that, that, that tension, as we can be that presence, I think God's goodness shows up. I want to go to challenge the church with, I don't want to, to detour the go direction forward, you're going, but as I was praying and thinking through what I would say, I, I want to ask you to consider doing this for the next 30 days, to pray for every, for pray, every 60 minutes, pray for 60 seconds mm. for the next 60 days, really. Mm. So every top of the hour at 3 o'clock, pray for 60 seconds. Mm. Pray for what God would lead you to do in your sphere of influence about making a difference or whatever that would look like. Prayer is so powerful. But then what I want you to do, I want you to pray maybe in groups or your your current small groups or your choir groups or whatever. As you pray individually and then you pray as a group, then sit up from that prayer and write down perhaps what God has prompted your heart to do. Mm. So throughout the week and throughout the next Mm. 60 days, you pray every 60 minutes for 60 seconds for 60 days. And you come together as a group. What has God laid on your heart? That's what is God... And that's you may great. find a synchronization, that's man. Great. This is the mystery of God's spirit. May synchronize this church to do something so peculiar that you wouldn't even have the wisdom a brilliance to think about it your doggone self. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not that smart. But the reality of, <laughs> of, of that prayer, God will stir some stuff up that this community would say, that's the most obvious, most brilliant thing this church has done. Why couldn't we have thought about it? Because the people of God... Ask God, moved yeah. upon God for them to be prompted that way. Yeah. For the next 60 days, yeah. for every 60 minutes, pray for 60 seconds, mm-hmm. and then come together in your quiet group or your small group or your community and say, what did God lay on your heart? Mm-hmm. This is the same thing he laid on my heart. Yeah. How do we do that? And then come back with Peter and come back with the leaders and say, hey, maybe this is something we could do and begin to agitate That's the good. community in that way. That's and, um, and then God would do some amazing things that, that, uh, that he'll bring the resources, he'll make the things happen. It takes that tenacity of hope, that tenacity of hope, that God is all that, yes. and that he can, um, he can make that
0: change. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted us to, together as a church, to pray. And here's, um, pardon the mic. You guys stay up here. Um, we're going to have, I was going to have a separate, a small groups and pray, but um, I think what I'm going to do is, is this for the next five, six minutes or so. For those of you that, that want to pray and feel led, prompted to pray, and the Spirit is prompting your heart to pray, I'm going to stand right here with this mic. I want you to come on up and pray what God's laid on your heart, and try and keep it short so that everybody that wants to pray has an opportunity to pray. Um. I'm feeling. I'm feeling this morning, particularly uh, the biblical call to just lament. Anybody else feeling that? Because you don't just hear this and you go, "Hoo let's, there's this, there's this feeling in which I just want to just sit and just lament an Old Testament analogy, picture of sackcloth and ashes and repentance, and saying, "God, we just weep, we just mourn, we just grieve with the lives lost and the families impacted."